Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome everybody to the Word Bible Studies with Pastor Dan here. I love and appreciate everyone who decided to join me today for this Bible study, and I'm excited to get started. Today's Bible study is going to be about the good news. We are all called to spread the good news of God. So what exactly is the good news? Well, the good news is that God can save you. He is a living God. Christ died and rose again so that we can live and have a new life. That, Christ's life, death, and resurrection is the good news that we're supposed to bring to the world today. So, start with me today in Psalms chapter 51. And I'll give you a second to turn there and remind you again that you can pause it if I get there a little bit faster than you. <laughs> so, Psalms 51 says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Let me rejoice. Don't keep looking on my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not Banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You did not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. These are the most beautiful crafted words of repentance by the greatest poet who ever lived, King David. A man after God's own heart who taught us that at God's heart is repentance. The first step in the good news The Bible says, repent and ye shall be saved. So what is repentance? That's what we're going to dig into a little bit here. Of course, we just had a great example of that. Repentance 
is turning from sin and evilness in this world in your heart and turning towards God. It is choosing God, acknowledging the sin in this world and realizing that you need Jesus to cleanse you and to make you whole again. So let's let's hear about it from the person who was sent to earth to teach repentance, John the Baptist himself. Because John the Baptist's whole ministry revolved around repentance. So turn with me again to Luke chapter 3, and we will start there. Again, if you haven't noticed, I do have a split translation Bible, so I do jump back and forth between the New Living and the King James. I like them both. They're both doctrinally sound, but sometimes it's easier to read the New Living Translation, and because I grew up with King James, sometimes it's easier to quote the scriptures that I know from the King James. But, alright, we're going to start here in verse number 3 here. Then John went from place to place in both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. That's the same sign of repentance and baptism that we experience in the church today. They both walk hand in hand. Baptism is the sign that you have repented in your heart. So continuing with verse 4, Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is the voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled, the mountains and hills made level, the curves will be straightened, and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. When the crowd came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. And of course, in the King James, it says, Bring forth, therefore, fruit worthy of repentance. Because <laughs> fruit is very important to God. So he says, Prove in your way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, We are safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked, what shall we do? And John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those that are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What shall we do? Asked some of the soldiers. And John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations, and be content with your pay. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered the questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater I'm not even worthy to be his slave, and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So here we have John explaining to us a little bit about what repentance is. And he says, Who told you to flee from the wrath that's coming? Show fruit of your repentance. And then when they started asking him, well, what shall we do? He started telling them, be good people. Stop doing bad things that you know are bad and start living good in your heart. Choose God. Choose to live holy lives unto Him and do the things that God wants you to do. Love the people around you. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. I'm getting ahead of myself, but <laughs> John the Baptist taught us to recognize sin just like Jesus taught us to recognize sin. If you'll turn with me now to Luke chapter 13, we'll hear what Jesus has to say about it. And it says, about that time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners 
than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? So Jesus says here, is that why they suffered because of their sins? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent from your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again, that unless you repent, you will perish too. So God definitely, Jesus says here that there are consequences in life for the sins that you commit. And he tells them that if they don't stop sinning, that they will perish too. And this is not the only place in the Bible. Of course, we have John chapter 5, where Jesus told him and healed the man and told him to stop sinning. And then you also have John chapter 8, where the woman was caught in adultery and was told to go and sin no more. So in both places, you have clearly Jesus telling people to stop sinning. However, in all three places as well, you also have Jesus present and having the power to empower them to not sin. So let's let's go on here and continue reading in chapter 13. It's, it's still part of Jesus' teaching on repentance here. Then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to the gardener, I've waited here three years and there hasn't been a single fig tree. Cut it down, it's just taking up space in the garden. And the gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If it gets figs next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. I read that getting ready for this and God brought back to my memory in the book of John chapter 20 verses 14 through 16 and this is when the women went to see the tomb after Jesus had been raised and as she was leaving and saw someone standing there it was Jesus but she didn't recognize him dear woman why are you crying Jesus asked her who are you looking for and she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. And Mary, Jesus said, and she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which in, in Hebrew means teacher. So that really hit me hard that she thought he was the gardener. And as soon as that hit me in the spirit, I went back and looked at this parable again. So we're, we're the fig tree, of course, and God is the owner. And Jesus is the gardener. So let me read it one more time. Then Jesus told the story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was fruit in it. And he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's taking up place in my garden. And the gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. And if we get figs on it next year, fine. If not, then I'll cut it down. That's how Jesus is to us. He is our gardener. He waits patiently for us to get the sin out of our life and bear fruit that's worthy of Him. And when we do, He loves to come alongside us and bring us to that place of righteousness with God. Another story in Luke chapter 15, if you'll turn there, is another story of repentance that we get from Christ as he was teaching his disciples and he gives them three parables here the first one is of the lost sheep the second one is the parable of the lost coin and the last one is the parable of the prodigal son 
I'll start with the first one, chapter 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he lead the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So that also shows you how Christ feels about people who repent. All of heaven and the angels rejoice over it. The second parable was of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And then the third parable Christ went into was the parable of the prodigal son. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons, a younger son, told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed and divided his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out and a great famine swept over the whole land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but please take me on as a hired servant. That is a great expression of repentance, that I'm not even worthy to be called your son. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. <laughs> so Christ parties every time we are lost and return to him. But in these three parables, it's very clear. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son is the unrepentant soul. And it, we really get that expression in the parable of the lost son because he regrets everything that he's done and he turns away from the wicked sin and the life outside of his father and he returns home but also in all three parables we see that Jesus is the shepherd of the lost sheep he's the woman who lost her coin and he's the father of the son so in all three situations, once we realize what sin is and we decide not to do it and we turn towards God, it was Jesus who picked up the sheep and carried it home. It was Jesus who found the coin and celebrated and put it back in its right place. And it was Jesus who put his arms around his son and began the party and brought him back into his house and back into relationship with him. So in all situations in repentance, we see that it is our job to acknowledge sin and to turn away from sin. But it's always Christ who pays for that sin, cleanses us of that sin, and brings us back into right standing 
with the Father. So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5, verses 20 and 21, which says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians says there that God became sin. And if you study in the Old Testament, you hear the story about the two goats on the Day of Atonement, and they would put all the sin on the one goat, and they would send it out into the wilderness. And all of the sin on earth was accumulated on earth all the way up until Christ's death. And Christ became that sin on the cross. That's why in Matthew 27, 46, at about 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Because at that moment on the cross, Christ became all of the sin of the world. And God had to look away from him. If you read in the book of Job, you read in the first chapter, Satan goes to God and God says, look at my son down there and how good he is. And Satan says, of course he is. He's got a great life. What do you expect? And God says, go ahead and destroy everything he owns. And Satan says something very powerful. He says, I can't because there's a hedge of protection around him and his whole family. And that stood out to me because that was Job that was a long time before Christ died on the cross. That was before Abraham's covenant. That was two covenants before Christ's blood. And he had still built a hedge around his family because he chose not to sin. So that everybody who says that you can't sin, you can't go without sinning, even though Christ tells you that you should go without sinning and to sin no more, we see that in the book of Job, Job went without sinning before he was empowered by Christ and before he had the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he made a decision to obey God's commandments and not to sin. And we have a representation of that when Christ is put on the cross. They took a crown of thorns and placed them on his head to represent that hedge that was broken over Job and how Christ puts that hedge back over top of our life, a hedge of protection against the evil one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, the one who causes sin and death. We have a hedge of protection around us as believers that keep us from that. And to further illustrate how much Christ paid for this, let's turn to Romans chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? For, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, you were joined in his death? For we have died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ is raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives, again, by the glorious power of the Father. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that Sin might lose its power in our lives. Sin does not have power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive 
to God through Christ Jesus. That's how we stop sinning. We are dead to sin through the power of the Holy Ghost. It empowers us not to have to do sin. We're not supposed to be like heroin addict Christians who are like, I have to do it. If I don't, I'll get sick. We are powerful. We have the power to overcome sin. So continuing in verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to your sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument for evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin no longer is your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which lives to righteousness. So when we repent from our sins, we're given the power to choose righteousness over death. I'm not a slave to sin unless I continue to make myself a slave to sin. If I choose to be a slave to sin, but I don't have to be a slave to sin. And the moment I repent, Christ comes alongside me so that I don't have to be a slave. I am the master of it. Continuing in verse 17. Thank God once you were slaves to sin, but now you are wholeheartedly obeying the teaching we have given you. Now you are free from the slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteousness. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using this illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which lead ever deeper into sin. But now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things that you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do these things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So it is a free gift that we have eternal life through Christ Jesus. And in, in Matthew, they asked God what was the greatest commandment of all. And Christ didn't tell them the commandments of the things that they weren't supposed to do. But instead, he told them the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And upon this was wrapped up all of the law and all of the prophets. So that means every law that's ever been in the Bible and every law that will ever come out through the prophets is wrapped up in those three things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That means don't have any other idols before him. Don't worship anything else like him. And to make him number one in your life, the king over your life. Two is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor means you're not going to lie, cheat, steal, murder, commit adultery, or hurt your neighbor in any way. And if you live in that love, you won't sin towards your neighbor. But the final one is also as you love yourself. And I, for the first time, I've seen it to where it's not love my neighbor equal to the amount that I love myself, but it's love your neighbor as you take care of yourself. Love your neighbor and love yourself. And that really showed me that that makes up the rest of it where you don't drink and do drugs and put things in your body that are going to hurt your body, but you take care of your body. You don't do sexual immorality, which is directly affecting your flesh, but you keep yourself holy by living the life and putting in yourself what God would put in you. So you can clearly see by loving God and loving your neighbor and loving yourself, it is possible to live a life without sinning. And that's why Christ empowers us to do so. So now let's read Colossians chapter 2, starting in verses 11 through 15. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not 
By a physical procedure, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of the sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, which was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers of authority and he shamed them publicly with his victory over them on the cross. So here we have it that Christ disarmed the authorities and the spiritual rulers on earth. They no longer have the power over me to force me to sin. And Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 puts it this way. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live this way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all of he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. But we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So once you have repented of your sins and been baptized in Christ, you are clean, righteous, and holy. All of your sins have been washed away. Everything has been made anew. You don't have to bow down to sin. You don't have to mess up every day. You're free to live godly lives in Him. Righteous and holy lives. Empowered by the Holy Ghost to live clean lives worthy of God's presence. That is the good news. The good news is that I don't have to sin. I can be forgiven for my sins and I can be empowered to not sin and go out and heal other people and cast out devils and get other people to see that they can live lives that are righteous without sin. I'm going to flip back to the Old Testament for a second. Micah chapter 7 verse 18 says, Where is another God like you? who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people. You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. God did all of this because sin is so deadly that it will take you out. And God empowers us so that we don't have to live that kind of life. Some people say living the Christian life is hard, but I used to be an alcoholic and that was hard. Waking up with a hangover and going and working all day long isn't an easy life. Spending all your money in booze and giving it all away isn't an easy life. Jesus said, my burden is easy. And he is telling the truth. His burden is light. If you live wise and you obey his commandments and you give your life to him, stop sinning. He takes care of the rest. He empowers you to live an amazing life. He will cause us to prosper. 
the same covenant that we have with Abraham is the new covenant that we have in Christ Jesus. He'll give us land. He'll give us the victory over our enemies. He'll give us healing in our body. He will restore us to the place that we were in in the Garden of Eden when we were in his presence with no sin and no problems. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. That's the good news. That God can help us and forgive our sins and restore us. That's how we help sinners. We share the good news. If someone around us starts to sin, we remind them that Christ empowers us so that we don't have to sin. And that he will forgive the sins that we have committed. 1 John 1, 5-9 This is the message that we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Just like John the Baptist was saying in the beginning, we have to acknowledge our sin and turn from it towards God. Once we can acknowledge what the sins are in our life and the Holy Spirit shows you what sins are in your life, then you can confess those sins to God and he's faithful and just to cleanse us from that, forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness so that we won't continue in sin and die. You know, the Bible says that there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they are one. We know that they're all three one. So it's the same God that was righteous before the world was made and the same God who made the tabernacle pure and holy and sanctified it. And it's the same Christ that broke the power of sin at the cross. And it's the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that empowers us to overcome sin in our life. We can't believe that Christ can forgive sin if we don't believe that Christ can stop sin in your life. Sin is no longer our master. Christ is our master, and he makes us the master over sin. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. But if we should examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. We have to realize how great God's love is for us and how he has washed away every sin in our life. 1 John chapter 5 verses 13 through the end of the, of the whole book puts it really beautifully. It says, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know that he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us whatever we ask for. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in the way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. 
But if but there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sins, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding so that we know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and He is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 says dear friends let us continue to love one another for love comes from god anyone who loves is a child of god and knows god but anyone who does not love does not know god for god is love god showed how much he loved us by sending us his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him this is real love not that we love god but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins dear friends since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He lives in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son as the Savior to the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus. We're here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced God's perfect love. For we love each other because he loved us first. Wow, that's powerful. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? For he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Shows you how important love is and how it walks hand in hand with the good news. We repent, we get baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And we stop sinning and start loving everyone around us. Now for the last scripture to read, let's go to Romans chapter 8. What a great way to wrap up this Bible study here, huh? <laughs> it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses is unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like our bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow the sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about the sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirit so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace for the sinful nature is always hostile towards god it never did obey god's law and it never will that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please god so anybody saying that you can't stop sinning that's pretty crazy because right there it says if you can't control your sinful nature you can't never please God that's why we have to control our sinful nature but continuing in verse 9 but you who are not controlled by your sinful nature 
are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of your sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, He gave life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its decrees, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit, and He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Abba Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs to God's glory. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory we will receive to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future glory day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation is subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day that God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows that the Spirit is saying, For the Spirit pleads with us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance. He chose them to become like His Son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as this? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since we did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us when we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or desolate or in danger or threatened with death? The scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day and are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation can ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. That is the good news that nothing can separate us from Christ. 
If we repent, we stop sinning, we turn to God, we get baptized as a sign of that belief in Jesus' name, we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is God living inside of us and empowering us to do everything that Jesus Christ did, especially overcome sin. The Holy Ghost empowers us to live like Christ, to live sin-free, to heal the sick, to preach, feed the hungry, walk on water. If Jesus did it, we can do it. For the same Spirit lives in Him, lives in us. I can't think of better news than that. <laughs> I don't know what news stations you listen to, but none of them are ever going to give you better news than the fact that Christ Jesus was God wrapped in flesh, died for your sins, and empowers you to overcome the devil in this life. If you haven't accepted this good news yet, maybe this is the first time you've heard this good news, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to see the power work in your life. If you will, just bow your head and close your eyes with me. Repeat these words out loud with me. Jesus, I come before you today as a sinner that I've done wrong in my life, God. But I accept you today. I believe that you wrapped yourself in flesh and came to earth and died for my sins. I believe the good news that I've been taught, God. And I want you to be my God and the king over my life, God. That you'll wash away my sins, God. That you'll create a new heart in me that I can grow closer to you in everything that I do. I want to worship you and thank you, God, for giving me right standing with you and giving me the ability to overcome sin and grow to be like you every day, God. I worship you and praise you, and in Jesus' name, amen. And if that was your first time praying that, then you have just received Christ into your heart, and that is the good news. We also believe that you should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ as a sign of that repentance. And God will fill you with the Holy Spirit that will empower you to do everything that Jesus did. I thank you so much for spending this time with me and studying the Bible out with me. And I look forward to seeing you next time. I love you. Until then, God bless.